0: Hello and welcome to the e commerce playbook podcast. My name is Andrew Ferris and I am so glad you've joined me again today. I'm really excited about this episode, kind of another special episode here related to something that we did not talk very much about when it happened. Uh, we acquired 31 bits a while ago. So we talked about it. We acquired Genuine Collars, so we talked about it. And then we acquired a brand called Modern Fuel and we never talked about it. So today on the show, uh, we are gonna go over the sixth brand in the 4x400 portfolio, tell you what we like about this brand. And I've got two special guests who you've never heard from on this show before. uh, and, And I think you're gonna like hearing from them both. They both bring really great perspective to this particular issue. I also think you're gonna love Uh, hearing about this brand. It's unlike any of our other brands uh, in its own kind of way. We're talking about a brand that is selling luxury pens and pencils. And it's a market that I certainly knew nothing about when we started looking at it. So I'm gonna tell you what we liked about it, why we acquired it, and what we're doing with it now, what we think the future is for this brand. uh, And hopefully it's some help to you. All right. I've just realized recently that every time I jump into the body after the intro of this show that I always say, all right, first, and now it bugs me every time I hear myself do that. This is one of the weird things about like doing a lot of solo podcasting is you hear all your own little verbal ticks. but I-, I suspect, uh, that my two guests on this show today, um, have some sense of all of my own little ticks that they could feed back to me. So, um, you guys can, uh, maybe, uh, maybe afterwards, just tell me like, what are the little stupid things I do all the time, just in meetings and all that kind of stuff. You guys will know because you're both on our team. So, um, today we're talking about modern fuel and, uh, and, and so I brought on two people who have been integral to the journey of modern fuel so far. Um, that is first Coleman Verhain. Coleman, did I say your last name, right? <laughs> yeah, you
1: absolutely nailed it. In fact, are you
0: recording this? Cause I want that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you can send it to other people just like as your intro just that way people know like this is how you say it
1: yeah precisely or just keep it on my phone in case people ask i'll just play about so
0: yeah great okay i actually check myself every time i say your name because i'm always assuming that i'm saying it wrong despite that we've worked together now for like two years or whatever (laughs) so i'm glad i'm i was actually just thinking i'm gonna be really embarrassed if i get this wrong in this call right now
1: (laughs) Well, we might. I might not make it to the end of the call if you get it wrong, so I'm glad you
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, Coleman is um, actually the brand GM of Bamboo Earth, so uh, Coleman's name has probably come up at some point along the way before, and he and I worked closely together growing that brand, but that is not how you started at 4x400. Um, Coleman started working um, on acquisitions with us, um, and then after he helped us acquire Bamboo Earth, we thought he was a great fit to help um, get it going, and then he was really good at it, so we kept him in that spot. Um, so Coleman, uh, thanks for joining me today to talk about Modern Fuel and, um, and the, the sort of origin story on Modern Fuel goes pretty far back. So I'm going to have you tell that story in a second, but I want to introduce our other guests first as well. Um, Dave Recook is with us as well. Dave, I actually do know how to say your name because of the handy dandy, uh, cook it again uh, analogy you've given me for saying this. So Dave Recook, um, one of our newest hires at 4x400 is our VP of new brands. Um, so Dave, say hi.
2: Hey.
0: How's it going? Uh, good, thanks. And, um, and Dave, can you please um, tell people what you do at 4x400?
2: Yeah, so I'm running the, the new brands here. Um, so Genuine Collars, 31 Bits, and Modern Fuel. Uh, just trying to drive the early traction for those brands and find out what works in the early days.
0: Yeah, so we basically figured at some point that we were, if we were going to keep acquiring and growing brands, we were going to need somebody who was going to be able to make phase one of that process and journey happen. And I met Dave on Twitter um, and uh, noticed that every time he interacted with me, it was sort of, especially when he would ask me a question or like, gently and graciously criticize something I said, it was always smart, which was super annoying because I couldn't just discard it. Um, and so eventually I, I reached out to him and we got connected and started talking and it, and it ended up being a good fit for Dave to come do this. Dave has some of the most e-commerce experience of anybody I've been around. He's been at it for over 10 years and I've been just kind of waiting for the opportunity to bring him onto the show um, and to, to have you get to hear from him as well. So Dave currently has the task of establishing modern fuels um, sort of validity in our system. That's the first step of all these brands for us, as you've been hearing about with 31 Bits, as we've talked, um, as I've talked through that journey, the goal here is to kind of um, get it to to a spot where we believe we can grow it to where we eventually want it to go. But for us to kind of, before you can ever get to five or 10 million in revenue or whatever, you have to get it to 1 million. You have to decide this is a viable brand that we can really grow and that our system works well with. Um, so Dave is in charge of making that happen for Modern Fuel. So Dave, if it doesn't work, it's um, 100% your fault. And um, we'll talk about that when it comes.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. So let me give the quick intro. Actually, Dave, why don't I have you talk through what modern fuel is and then I'll kick it over to Coleman in a second to talk through um, how we possibly got interested in this brand. So Dave, Dave, give us the description of what the brand is.
2: Yeah. So, so modern fuel was really the whole The whole brand is obviously born out of Andrew Sanderson's head. Um, he's the the founder of the brand and the creator. And the interesting thing is he's an engineer and has been an aerospace engineer for 16 years Um, And for that reason, he used a mechanical pencil every day. Um, And he just sort of noticed, uh, call it shoddy craftsmanship uh, with mechanical pencils, just being kind of a tool that you use as soon as anything goes wrong with it, you just kind of uh, dispose of it. Um, And so kind of classic problem solution for a founder. Um, He sees something he doesn't like. He sees nothing in the market that does it and just decides, uh, well, I'm going to be the one that does it. I'm gonna be the one that puts this together. Um, so he engineered a, a, a pencil top to bottom and created it, um, the entire pencil, uh, there's no plastic parts in it except for an O-ring and an eraser. Um, so it's a pretty incredible feat that he, that he put together. Um, ran, ran a couple Kickstarters with it to introduce the pencil, uh, did two versions of it, and then ultimately introduced a, a pen as well. Same kind of features: uh, hyper focus on quality, minimalism, and uh, and durability. Um, the the pens all come with hundred year guarantees, which is pretty incredible.
0: Yeah, awesome. So that's the basic outline. Can you talk through price point and materials for these uh, pens and pencils?
2: Yeah. Um, so when we when we got the brand, he uh, Andrew set this up to be sold under four different metals. Um, so we've got bronze, copper, stainless steel, and titanium. Um, so all of them being rather luxury sounding uh, metals that come with some connotation of quality. Um, stainless steel may be the most everyday of the of the four metals that I mentioned, um, but still all of them kind of coming with a uh, serious pedigree of quality to them. Um, the price point for the brand when we were acquiring it, um, was a bit all over the map, to be honest. Uh, I, we can get into that a little bit more later. But right now we have uh, the titanium pens and pencils selling at $200 and uh, the other metals selling at 150
0: Awesome. So what we're talking about here at the end of the day is a brand that many people are going to experience as a um, $150 to $200 pen or $150 right. to $200 pencil. Um, right. so obviously like, it's not going to be a shock to anybody listening to this, that, um, this category exists, right? Like everybody's heard of Mont Blanc, which of course gets into the many thousands of dollars range. Um, and, and really, really sort of extreme gaudy luxury. But I'll just tell you for me, like when I first saw this brand and Coleman, I'm going to have you talk about this more in a second, but when I first saw this brand, um, I, I just, I could not be less of the customer here. Like I am fairly cheap about this sort of thing. Um and and there's just no world in which I would buy myself a $200 pen. Um even if I made way more money than I do. <laughs> like like it's not right. even like I just it just doesn't I don't get it. Um and I think that's actually one of the, the it's sort of really constantly interesting things about being in the position that I'm in and that for us as a company we're in is that, um, you have to make decisions about brands, even if you are not at all the customer, like we we just can't possibly keep acquiring brands and growing brands if it's all about stuff that we really get. But at the same time, you have to establish that somebody cares about this and you have to believe that that's possible. So, um, so, um, enter Coleman. Coleman um, actually started talking to Andrew. I don't know a couple of years ago or something like that. Coleman, you might remember the timeline better. But, um, but Coleman, what I am interested in is first, how did you how did you stumble upon uh, Modern Fuel? How did you find them? Um, and how did you find Andy, uh, the founder, Andy Sanderson? Um, and then what was appealing? Because I'll tell you one of the strong signals to me about this brand, that there was something here was your excitement about it. Like, I just assumed that though I am not the customer, you were really geeked on it. And that made me say like, okay, somebody out there, Coleman's probably not totally unique, right? Um, you know, I mean, Coleman, you, you don't get me wrong. You're a wonderful... Wonderful and fascinating guy, Coleman, but uh, I suspect there are other people who have some similar interests to you. Um, So, so I just thought like, okay, that's interesting. So just talk about that kind of um, how it started with you and, and um, bridging that gap of like, how is a $200 pen, not something that, or pencil, not something that's just, um, you know, a tiny, you know, meaningless market for a little niche audience and what, what, what appealed to you about it?
1: Yeah, of course. So it's, it's really interesting. You're asking two questions here, right? Like the subjective piece, the Genesis, I guess it's three questions, this subjective piece, why am I interested in it? Like as a product that I would use as a consumer, um, what's the Genesis story of the acquisition and then like kind of why the acquisition. So, um, as a consumer, um, It's really, it's really interesting. I mean, number one, I'm, I'm holding my pen right now. Um, I I have a stainless steel version. Um, I did not get it for free. Um, my wife paid for it for me for uh, father's day or something like that. Um, because I wouldn't shut up about it for like a year and a half since we've been looking at this two years since we've been looking at this brand. Um, I, I'm obsessed with it because, um, number one, I don't, I, there's no products that compete with this to me. Um, Mont Blanc is kind of like the rich stuffy, um, oak desk, uh, library, leather bound books like that, that kind of whole, uh, nostalgia that I wouldn't associate myself with. However, there's this new, like, um, I, I would say kind of, uh, it's, it's not a new preference, but it's a preference of mine to like have nice things that are built well, that will last a long time. Um, and I am very nostalgic and, and the, the, hopefully the things that I fill my house and my life with are things that um, will last to be able to give my son like I own a Toyota Forerunner, for example and while these two things are very different and they're like price point as they relate in the market um, my goal with my Forerunner is to hang on to it because it's built well and it lasts forever and give it to my kid when he you know
0: turns 16 so um, obviously like that's, and we should, we should clarify here, your kid is three. So that's, that's you're, you're looking at a long, you're looking at a long timeline on your forerunner.
1: Yeah. My kid is three. That's another 13 years. And my forerunner is already 13 years old. So, um, yeah, that's a super long timeline. Obviously it's, it's probably not the majority of people. Um, it's not a shiny new object that, uh, is going to be really cool and break after a couple of uses. Um, like my wife's away suitcase, um, not to throw any names out there or anything. Um, but uh, yeah, so I'm I'm definitely a unique customer. But um, if something's built well enough to last, I will spend the money on it. I look at it as like, it's obviously not an investment. That Andrew would scoff at that in a heartbeat. But uh, I I would say it's um, purchasing once something that I won't need to purchase again. That's it. That-
0: yeah yeah no that 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 gets there it's super interesting you start to frame it that way and um and it does start to kind of highlight i think what some of the customer is is like here um i remember you used the term henry uh to talk about who this customer might be as well higher or not rich yet um h-e-n-r-y henry High yep. hi high, is that right higher or not rich yet did i do that right yes yeah okay so right so like i think i first heard that term from you coleman that you were you were you were kind of looking forward and saying this is who the market for this kind of person um, or for this kind of product could be, which I think is, is interesting and definitely separates that from the Mont Blanc market. Like you're talking about, like that's a rich guy market, right. Or a rich yeah. gal as the case may be. Um, and, uh. And that's super interesting. So, so, um, so you're talking now about like this kind of appreciation of the craftsmanship, appreciation of the quality. And I do think that that starts to kind of highlight something on the subjective side of things. Like we're talking about here, like, oh, okay, there are, like, I'm also like bad with my hands and Coleman, you like went and built your deck in your backyard. And like, you know, you love working on stuff and building things. And I think there's something there where people kind of have an appreciation for that. And you start to kind of look into it a little more and see Andy's a legit, engineer, you know, I mean, he's an air force engineer and in, in, in England where he's from all those things. So you kind of start to see how all these little lines come together. So then tell me how you found it. And, um, and then, uh, and then we can maybe get into a little bit more of some of the, some of the objective numbers uh, after that. And say anything else you want to say about that too?
1: No, of course. Um, I, uh, yeah, the, the Genesis story is really interesting. Um, but yeah, we can, we can get into more of the subjective numbers later, but I do have like a manual bent to me. Um, I do like take notes uh, with a pen and paper. So this is like an item that like I would use that I do use every day all the time. And if I ever went through airport security and they took it from me, I would probably cry like a baby um, right outside of TSA pre-check because I'm still a Henry. Um, But yeah, it's, it's definitely not one of those. uh, This is going to go in, conquer the world, but did we at the time and still believe that, um, that we could acquire this brand, build it to be something, um, bigger, uh, as an e-commerce, you know, um, as an e-commerce platform, uh, could we build it bigger than Andrew Sanderson could, could we utilize his assistance in the, you know, kind of product design side, um, and then could we sell it uh, at some point for uh, kind of what we target our, uh, divestitures for? Um, and the answer was, and I believe, you know, since we acquired it still is, um, of course, yes.
0: Yeah, that's totally right. So um, so I'll get into, um, Dave, I want to kind of kick it to you in a second here. So Coleman got that conversation started with Andy a while back. Andy at the time just wasn't quite ready to take them to make the move. You know, we acquire a majority of these companies, which means that entrepreneur has to really want our partnership to give up some control there. And and like you just said, Coleman, right? Like the, the part of the point here is just that, could we bring enough additional value to Andy's idea? Um, Cause obviously we're not the idea people, right? Like none of us are going to go develop the next modern fuel product. Um, Andy has to believe that something in his ability to keep um, developing product and, and, and having vision for where the brand could and product could go could combine with sort of our tactical skills. Um, and that, that's really the, the value proposition for coming to, to work with 400. So um, so we all had to kind of make the decision. Now in the early days of modern fuel, I, I signed off on this. Like after you looked at it, we were like, if Andy's ready to go, we'll do this. And, um, and there were a couple things at the time. Um, but then it slowed down Andy wasn't quite ready to go came back around earlier this year and said like, yeah, actually let's reopen that conversation. Um, and, uh, we just kind of kept the relationship going and, and all that. And Coleman was still hot on it after, after having, um, uh, mm-hmm not dealt with it for a little while, which I thought was another good sign. He was still excited about it. Um, and, um, and then, and then Dave was in the mix. And at the time that we were working on the deal with Andy, um, which is a couple months ago, um, we were also working on um, bringing Dave in. And so Dave, my task to you was, give me the growth plan for Modern Fuel um, and just tell me what you would do. Um, and that was like sort of your interview task, right? So um, right. So, so, let me, so, I don't know, do you want to talk through metrics, Dave? Or, or um, I can give some, some quick background. Um, what, yeah, why don't you, Dave, why don't you talk about sort of what you saw when you saw the brand and, um, and kind of how you approached that project?
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I, I got to say, first of all, like my first impression was much more similar to Andrew. Uh, the kind of, okay, this is nice, but but not for me. I really thought you kind of sent it over and this is like, uh, okay, here's your test. Uh, all right, smart guy. You you want to join us? Uh, tell me how to sell this
0: pen. Uh, well, you know, the classic salesperson interview well, question. Well, yeah, but I mean, it is, you know? it is it is funny though. Like, sorry to interrupt. Uh, it, it is funny though, because that was actually part of it in my mind was like, Um, if you don't personally like get and immediately have vision and passion for this, I, you know, this is part of the job that you have, right. Is that you're doing a lot of stuff with 31 bits, you're not the customer, right? Like, so you have to kind of be able to, so part of the question was, can you sort of bring a sense of tactical and objective knowledge to this kind of a project and, and handle it.
2: Right. And I think that's, yeah, I mean, definitely that's part of it. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but you have to have some level of kind of empathy for the customer that you put yourself in their shoes and try to care about what they care about and, uh, you know, object to the same things that they object to so that you can create ads and landing pages that counter that. Otherwise you just can't successfully sell a product. Um, But yeah, so uh, kind of background metrics, like I said, things were definitely all over the place as far as what they were able to drive from a price point perspective. And I think at the time um, we were a little bit well, all of us were a little bit fuzzier about exactly what their margins were. Um, we knew that it was good. It's a pretty efficient thing to ship. So shipping isn't a large, uh, large concern. It's a pretty small item, pretty lightweight, relatively speaking. Uh, this isn't uh, slick products. where you are uh, shipping multiple pound items across the country. Um, and we knew that they had been able to get a pretty solid price point for it between, I would say, the absolute low point on one of their Kickstarters, around sixty dollars To I saw the titanium pen sell for as much as $250 per unit. Um, So a massive, massive range. I mean, that's like 5x the lowest cost. You have a a really wide range of of kind of uh, prices that have been driven there. And we're a little bit fuzzy about the margins. So when I'm going through and creating the growth plan, a big part of this was just saying, hey, we really need to find out, what the real uh, what the market will actually bear in terms of price? Um, we probably, you know, we believe we could build a company around this at about a hundred dollar price point. We believe we can build a company around a hundred and fifty dollar price point. So we're not exactly attached to this. Isn't a commodity type product. We're already value pricing this. Um, so a big part of this growth plan is just going to be determining the most efficient way to structure uh, that offer. Um, whether it is uh, you know, pricing it higher, putting in bundles, uh, are, are we promotional at all with discounts? You, know, you had an episode about that um, recently. Um, so are we bringing that in or trying to maintain a premium price point? So a lot of that is uh, the growth plan is kind of just laying out the steps that we're gonna go about accomplishing uh, that from a price perspective. Uh, but diving into some of the other metrics a little bit more, one thing that really jumped out at me as soon as I started digging into this is I, I, I dug into each of the Kickstarter campaigns and, and kind of put together some some data on the orders. And it turned out that on their most successful Kickstarter campaign, almost half the revenue came from multi-unit purchasers, meaning that they're buying two, two, uh, two pencils or more. Um, so they also had a uh, – Andrew also ran a collector set on on the – Kickstarter, which was, I believe, nearly a quarter of the revenue of of the Kickstarter. So I found it interesting that people highly interested in the product were definitely willing to go to a second, third and fourth unit. Um, And and that presented a lot of options as far as pushing up average order value was concerned. Um, So so seeing that there's a wide price range and that there's a lot that we can work with to pushing people towards multi-unit orders, to me that said, okay, there may not be a very large market for this, but it doesn't have to be very large for us to sell, you know, at 200, $250 average order value uh, for us to get to about a million dollar run rate as a brand. It doesn't have to be very large um, for us to hit that. So that that was kind of the thinking as far as that was concerned. that's good. You know, does that pretty well?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good, that's a good spot to start. And, and I think like this, this question of margin and then sort of like the actual upside in the brand become two of the big issues. Like you touched on a few of them, right? Which is like gross product margin to begin and then not just gross product margin, but net landed cost. Right. So like the actual cost of delivery as a whole, thinking about that, the value to weight ratio thing, that's the way we tend to talk about this on the show is like uh, that you touched on, which is that it's cheap to ship um, is a huge deal because on top of the fact that the gross margin is already really good. If it's cheap to ship at the same time, now you've also eliminated some additional cost because yeah, to your point about slick, right? Slick and even bamboo earth to some degree, uh, not quite as extreme as slick. Both of them are, um, are really high margin products on a pure gross margin product level, but um, both of them create different challenges also around shipping and, Um, and so when this, with this issue, you just don't have that. And one of the things that, you know, you and I have done this exercise recently and sort of looked at each of our brands and said, like, what is it going to take for them to get to success? And the reality is, and like, I don't know, like, this is just something I think is so important for entrepreneurs, um, to keep hearing over and over and over again, is just that margins solve so many problems. Like, uh, it's just like, if you you just simply make the bar that you have to clear so much lower if you have a high margin um, product. And that is a massive advantage. So if you're, you know, the kind of person listening to this, who's like thinking about starting a business or getting going, like, you should really be trying to answer that question as soon as you possibly can, and if you can get up above seventy points net landed cost uh, of margin, like you can really be somewhere. Um, and and if you are somebody who already has a business and you're struggling with margin, like this is a thing I think can be can be a challenge. Is that things like optimizing your Facebook account feel like they're easier and they can feel really addictive and they can feel, or like, you know, getting a better conversion rate on pay on your, on your site so that you spend less in customer acquisition. These are all important things to do, but sometimes like the actual biggest task in front of you is go like stop everything else that you're working on and go get more margin, whether that's negotiating your shipping rates or negotiating with your vendors or working on finding other solutions or, or whatever. Like there's just a million different opportunities to do that, but it's so crucial because it just just makes your life so much easier if you have high margin product. Um, so yeah. And then of course, as you said, like we started looking into this and it turns out like there are some strong indications that some kind of market exists. Like we are not in the business of starting brands. We're in the business of acquiring brands. And so 2019, Um, modern fuel just on its site did 86 grand in revenue, um, at $179 average order value and a 0.69% conversion rate. Um, and you sort of, I mean, this is always something I'm looking at. I'm looking at margin, I'm looking at value to weight ratio. And then I'm also looking at average order value compared to conversion rate. Like how are those two doing? The metric I always cite is RPC revenue per session, which is just, um, AOV times, times a conversion rate. And, uh, that's a dollar 23 for modern fuel last year. Um, and that includes some fairly bad spend, uh, on display ads and, and Facebook ads when, without a lot of knowledge of what to do. So there's some kind of junk traffic in there. And if you eliminate some of that junk traffic, then the RPC gets even higher. Um, and that's another really strong signal to me that somebody wants this product with an under-optimized website, um, under-optimized ads, all those things, nonetheless, there is some addition, there is some, at least initial indication that people want this. And so I look at that and say like, we will raise the RPC just by nature of the tactical skill that we bring to the table. Like if we can't do that, then we're doing this whole thing wrong. And now you start to combine, there's some baseline market um, that we've seen. I think there's still a major question. And you and I've talked about this, Dave, of like just how big that market is. Um, There's some baseline market. And then there's some, um, and then there's some Uh, potentially good margin, depending on where you land the pricing. And, uh, and we can go and work on optimizing all the rest of the business around it. And now you get to something that's like actually really, really interesting and really, really appealing. Um, And Coleman, I want to kick it back to you because I know, you know, I don't want to just make it sound like you were just the subjective. I like this pen guy. I know you were looking at a lot of those metrics as well. Um, Is there anything else you want to say sort of about what you saw when you saw this and what you saw as the upside for this and whether that's based on objective information or not?
1: Yeah, um, I I pulled up this this document, this qualifications, like kind of uh, objective heuristic document that I put together that like, you know, just plots uh, really simply, objectively, numerically all the different brands we were looking at, just to kind of remind myself like what was interesting on a non-subjective level um, about modern fuel like two years ago when we were first looking at it. And the first one, the highest up like on the list, which is ranked by importance is shipping costs as a percentage of AOV, which is your value to weight ratio that you're talking about. Um, just having that like below 5% or between 5 and 8% probably where it lands right now is so valuable. And it allows you to keep in your back pocket like, oh, instead of offering a discount site-wide on this kind of thing, like we can, we can offer uh, ex- free expedited shipping and still have phenomenal margin. Um, here, which is is cool. Uh, It's a very different kind of um, discount, but ultimately like as an offer um, creates the same kind of behaviors. Supply chain uh, barriers to entry were really low at the time in terms of um, how many units do we have to uh, order in in order to like get product here? Um, Like basically what's the minimum size, minimum dollar amount PO? Um, Because at the time we were looking for starting, like looking to start something for next to nothing basically. Um, competitors lack direct customer relationships, uh, which is probably mostly true unless you're on Montblanc's email list. Um, I personally haven't seen them targeting me on Facebook, uh, or trying to start some sort of direct customer relationship, um, with me. Uh, they seem too stuffy for me anyways, and that's not who we are going after, but that leaves a giant, I would say like a giant market. Um, you're not trying to sell everybody with that like uses a pen, of course, but, um, somewhere in between that. Um, super low legal risk. Uh, it's a benign product. It's not a compound, a topical compound or an ingestible. Um, so just from an objective uh, standpoint, that's, that's attractive to us on the acquisition side. Um, and then do most people have an existing brand affinity? Um, this ranked really highly on that because, uh, for the most part, no, people don't have like, Oh, I go to my pen every single time. Again, I'm the weirdo here. And I was, uh, you know, I was a diehard fan of the Pilot G two o seven until I found a real pen um, in Modern Fuel. So, um, and then of course the average order value is really valuable here. Um, that paired with the margins, obviously you can't have one or the other. Um, but we're finding that, like, uh, I, I mean, maybe Dave can corroborate. We're finding that uh, AOV super high AOV is challenging the market on Facebook because uh, an ad spend of a thousand dollars like a day might only yield you a, like a very small amount of purchases, but Um, and then of course, if you start with a much lower ad spend, so you just learn slower. Um, but this was, uh, but it was really valuable in terms of like, how much can we expect from a person's first purchase? And then returns are not an issue. So like, because it has a hundred year guarantee, right? You can ship somebody this pen and then if they don't like it, they ship it back to you and it's not going to break in transit. It's not going to be unusable. It's not like skincare where if it's opened, you legally can't use it again or sell it to somebody else. So. Returns is not an issue whatsoever. And then um, of course, it's not a regulated industry. Um, That one's, you know, kind of binary. Is it, or is it not? Um, But of course, uh, yeah, you can should be able to find these materials uh, everywhere and not have any problem selling them to people. So effectively like what we boiled it down to is like kind of answering these three questions that um, are really important for uh, like young businesses, solopreneurs, entrepreneurs, like, um, everybody kind of behind the helm of a small business um, should be able to answer pretty quickly and clearly, I would say, um, what does this brand have a deep passion for? What can this brand be the best in the world at? And then what is the key driver to its economic engine? Um, and the, the the pretty clear answers. And this is, this is just after talking to Andrew Sanderson besides he's a gem of a human. Like, I just want to make sure that we mention that because that makes the acquisition process and, all of the negotiations and all of the investigation beforehand, like just that much more peaceful. Um, you know, so anyways, he's a, he's a, he's a giant part of this. Plus he's a brilliant product designer. Um, what does this brand have a deep passion for uncompromising precision quality? Um, and Andrew's background as a Royal air force engineer. Um, I mean, besides just adding validity and authority to the authentic brand story that already exists, um, is is really valuable in uh, communicating this uncompromising precision quality and continuing, um, continuing uh, for that to be kind of the focal point of all of the messaging on the site. Um, what can this brand be the best in the world at? Um, legacy and heirloom direct to consumer writing utensils and instruments. Um, what is the key to its economic engine? Um, definitely. I would say besides margin, of course, um, which it already kind of has baked in, would be like the luxury brand placement. If if we start discounting it to the point where it's like, you know, 50, 60, like 30, 40, 50, 60 bucks like per unit, it's it's gonna be really hard to bring that back to a luxury brand placement. But um I, I think there's a ton of room in the market for um somewhere in between your uh disposable staples pens and um the mont Blanc kind of uh stuffy that kind of that kind of utensil so, um, so
0: that's a that's a great spot right there coleman to to kind of talk about it because this sort of leads perfectly into the question of like all right Dave, you built the kind of growth plan um for this and then you you came on and started to institute it so um So I think maybe, oh, I should, by the way, pause to say the same thing about Andy Sanderson. Another big part of it for us is that we wanna partner with entrepreneurs that we like. Um, We're gonna work with, you know, Andy came into the company, he's staying on as a product designer. I actually think there's massive LTV volume or LTV possibilities built around um, more product design in this space. I love the brand name for this reason, Modern Fuel, like it it sort of leaves space for all kinds of different products. Um, And so if we can really free Andy to, to create other products in this kind of world of, I don't know whether it's, you call it like, um, you know, sort of like stuff that goes in an office, you know, um, maybe, maybe, maybe you maybe you'd think about it that way, but I mean, who knows? We'll, we'll, that's, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, but, but Andy is an awesome guy and brings a lot to the table in terms of his, um, intelligence and, and all that as well. So there's no question, like we, the, I've mentioned this before on here, but the goal here is for us to scratch out a big check to this entrepreneur at the end of this thing. Um, and I just don't want to do that for somebody I don't like that much. So um, so yeah, so Andy is awesome. And that really helps. Um, and and then um, and then yeah, so, so Dave, I think if the biggest question is total addressable market here, and like sort of is there a market for that, um, we are actually already, we're recording right now on Tuesday, October 20th, um, and um, so, so we've seen a few days of data now, I think on our ads. Um, so Dave, kind of at this point, can you talk through what the ad build was like and how, and especially I'd like, love to hear you talk a little bit about um, who you think the customer is here ultimately besides sort of the broad term of Henry or whatever, um, right. like who you think the customer is and then how you created ads that, um, that targeted that person.
2: Yeah, and, and I think I, I, Coleman hit some, hit some good points as well uh, while he was talking, saying that when you have a $200 AOV and at the point of acquiring, the conversion rate is somewhere around a half a percent, uh, you're, and, and you're gonna, obviously going to start with relatively small budgets to start testing, uh, we do have a problem with statistical significance, that we can't just throw a thousand different tests at this and just kind of um, expect things to sort themselves out. Uh, there's going to be a limited number of actual purchases, so a limited uh, number of positive signals for us. So going into the launch of ads with Modern Fuel, we had to be hyper-conscious about prioritizing kind of the biggest questions. Um, so something that always sticks out in my head as far as a framework with a brand, uh, with a new brand, is we have to answer the absolute biggest questions first, both the largest drivers to performance and the largest question marks as far as what are the things you it would are the, would be a nightmare to find out that we can't command this price point, that we can't um, you know we can't sell uh, at a two hundred dollar AOV, or that we can't drive it at these margins. So the biggest kind of biggest question marks out there that 's what we have to frame as far as question marks and go at the ad account with a structure that makes sense for that so the way the way we initially uh, set this up was one it 's going to help us a lot if we could if we could narrow in on either the pen or the pencil because if we have to run ads for both we 're just going to be spreading what budget we do have across everything so an early question we w- definitely want to answer is. What's the more attractive item immediately with 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 the you know kind of our starting point for ads, our starting point for landing pages? What's the, the item that gets more initial traction, the pen or the pencil? The other question that we have out there is we have a we already talked about this, we have a variety of different price points we can go with. Um, in fact, we can even do something where we're anchored around a you know 150, 200 price point, and we take one metal like stainless steel and drop the price as kind of an entry-level uh, type price. We can bundle this a, a whole bunch of different ways, especially because we talked about people buying multiple units. They could be buying two pencils or a pen and a pencil. The collector's set, all four. So there's a lot of different kind of levers that we have here. But what we chose as a starting point is, and that's not even getting into uh, to creative angles yet. Um, so what we chose as a starting point is, okay, we're going to run a campaign for the pen. We're going to run a campaign for the pencil. We're going to, put together, you know, a a relatively basic uh, creative test and the creative angle that we're going to go here is an extremely just benefit driven landing page that's walking a user through the benefits of something extremely well made and just explaining the, the process of what goes into it and the quality behind the product. So not taking a super hard angle and playing into the emotion of an heirloom, not taking uh, you know, all, all sorts of really creative angles that we can in the future, but really kind of going rather straight into this with a benefit approach and testing uh, pen versus pencil. Uh, we also started with an upsell offer of, you know, if you're looking at the pen, there's an upsell to, to save $50 and get a pencil. If you're looking at the pencil, save $50 and get a pen with it. Um, so kind of just threw a dart at the wall at one of our um, initial starting offers and created the, the ads based on that. So let me jump into some of the numbers uh, right away. So month to date, we launched ads on October 14th. Um, so we're talking about uh, you know six days of data here, um, almost almost seven days of, uh, of data. So immediately, uh, actually the first day it ran with absolutely zero purchases, um, which isn't that surprising because this is a product where I don't think this is you know bubblegum in a supermarket aisle. Um, you're going to want to read some reviews, you're gonna to want to kind of read the FAQs on the landing page, read you know, read through this. So this is definitely something that is um, a more well thought out purchase than something impulse. Um, and we were seeing a good amount of checkouts initiated on that first day of advertising. So let me pop back in the ad account and show you what that looks like. So first day of ad spend, um, we had 12 checkouts initiated. And uh, six hundred dollars in spend. So okay, we're spending pretty heavy, but keep in mind again, this goes back to the point of statistical significance. We have zero purchases on the, on that first day. Um, so we're seeing good signs in terms of engagement. Um, so we we also put Hotjar on the site uh, for the you know for, for the first few days, watching back uh, sessions that are playing and seeing people spend two, three, four minutes on the page, uh, reading through everything, scrolling through everything, etc. And I'm also watching a lot of sessions that aren't just hitting the buy box and then being put off by price. Um, so they're seeing that, that product section and then continuing to learn. Um, there's also some other, other people who took their one or two minutes and then see that and immediately bounce off. But I'm definitely seeing some good intent signals.
0: After that point. I want to say really fast, Dave, let me just say yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah. Like, so we we looked at that and we said like, Okay, no purchases on the first day, and right, um, and we are spending. Actually, typically, we we especially at this stage, we probably only spend a few hundred bucks a day. But you just can't do that with this brand because the AOV is so high. Like we said, you you've got to spend a little more money to um to to get some some info. So we looked at this and said, like, wait a minute, our ads are generating a couple percentage points in in click through rate, like we're running still image ads that show the product really clearly with a strong headline about it. And you talk more about that in a second, but um, you're seeing that you're seeing people add to cart. You're seeing people initiate checkout. They're just not finishing the purchase. And this is another crucial thing in the early stage of Facebook ads is that you're seeing all of these strong signals that this is high quality traffic that's sincerely engaged with it. And it's high intent. They're just dropping off at the very last step. And I've never seen a brand that goes that has 12 initiate checkout that sort of on a, in the aggregate would have as much initiate checkout with no purchase over time as that. I looked at that and said, 12 initiate checkouts with no purchase. Um, even in that small of a sample, I can pretty much immediately tell you that if we can hold anywhere close to that cost per initiate checkout, we're probably in okay shape here because those, those people are going to purchase. If you just get, people who get that far down the funnel, don't just drop off for no reason. If you're initiating checkout, you have a real intent. Um, so. Um, so add to cart is less strong of a signal in that range there Are some shoppers and some behaviors, I think where people just, they do that. They just add stuff to cart all over the place and, you know, wait for a discount or whatever it is. But, um, but when people aren't getting all the way to the checkout screen, I think that's a different issue. So I know we, David, you know, you, you, know, you and I, and, and, our, our, um, director of growth, Vince, were, we're slacking each other, like furiously that day. I'm like, Whoa, this might work. Like there's people. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, so t- talk a little bit more about sort of how that has panned out since then.
2: Yeah. So, and actually one thing I'd just say to that is, yeah, whoa, this might work. We're seeing a lot of initiate checkouts and we've got a lot of work to do. We don't have email flows really going much yet. They're certainly not optimized. The, the multi-touch optimization of really buttoning down uh, social proof, reviews, emails, et cetera, all weren't in place. And I felt really confident because again, as you put it before, margin solves a lot of problems. I went in at the 150 and $200 price point. I knew that I had room downward, either with promotions, bundles, offers, or just straight moving the price point of the product down. So day one comes in while there's no actual revenue to speak of on the top line, uh, really encouraging signs. Um, So day two kind of comes and all of a sudden this is when the orders start flowing in. Um, So we get five orders on day two uh, on, on, on that Thursday. Um, and we run at about a 1.36 in the, in the ad account. So r- return on ad spend 1.36. Okay. Not great. We're really not knocking things out of the park yet, but it's really exciting that this is day two, our first pass on creative first pass on landing page. We, you know, we, we put this up at the more premium price point and now we're starting to see those orders come in and, and actually materialize. Um, So from that point on, you know, over the last last couple of days, we're seeing that trend continue that it does take customers, uh, you know, at times multiple different touches to to be able to to get to a purchase. We've been able to build out some more of the content that they've been looking for um, because we're looking at both the Facebook comments, the customer service that's coming in, um, as well as running surveys on site to find out what they're looking for. Um, so all that has helped us start to build out the content a little bit more. And really of- fast,
0: Dave, on that. Uh, like I just tweeted this today, right? That like um, essentially data... I think in most cases doesn't answer your questions. It just helps you ask better ones. Um, And and what I mean by that is like that, those little data sets that you're seeing right away with that purchase behavior, the uh, return on ad spend, the checkouts initiated, the hot jar information, none of those can tell you what the solution is, but they can point you towards where to go start problem solving. And I think this is like a a really crucial thing for people to, to think through is like, just to ask yourself the question: Why are so many people getting all the way to checkout and not purchasing? Well, you just hit it part of it, which is which is maybe they need a little more comp, uh, content, a little more like um, information, that kind of thing, um, or maybe it's just multi-touch. Maybe it's just people aren't going to pull out their wallet too fast on a two hundred dollar pencil, um, and so they just need to think about it a little bit. Um, and so then you have to go think about: Okay, well, what are they doing next if they're going if they're bouncing off the page, off initiate checkout? Where are they looking? And I know you've immediately started thinking about you know. Um, getting control of old discount codes and thinking about getting up a review site and a discount page right away. So people who search modern fuel discount, they go to our page, not some other one. Like, you know, there's all these things to start doing email optimization because you're going, okay, there's, there's, the people have high intent, but they're not finishing the deal. So what do we do to solve that problem? And you're not ever going to be able to answer that question in one shot, obviously just from a data set. you're not going to be able to look at over 12 on the checkouts and go like, Oh, the answer is this, but you're going to know where to look. You have to actually go hypothesize on a bunch of different answers. Um, and increasingly in my experience, what you'll find is some of those will help you 5%. Some of those will help you not at all, or even go backwards. Coleman and I've done some tests for bamboo where we've put in some hypothesis, hypotheses relative to some data, and it's taken us the wrong direction. Um, and, and so we've kind of gone, come back to where we started. And then, um, and then on the other side, sometimes you're going to hit something where it's like, oh, you got, you got a 25% increase because you found a major lever. Um, and, and that's just the whole game here. <laughs> I was telling Dave and Vince, like this is like my favorite part of the whole game. I just love, I absolutely live for this kind of thing is you, you kind of get that data set and start going like, okay, now what do we do to go solve it? This is like, this is where it becomes a game to win.
2: Yeah, definitely. And so uh, I'll wrap, let me wrap up these metrics. And then I think what might be helpful for the listeners is to talk about kind of two or three of the data points that we heard, um, you know, whether it is uh, quantitative or qualitative, what we did about them and kind of what that's doing for us, because I think, um, seeing the data that we collect, how we interpret it, and then what action it's, it's turning into would be helpful for, uh, for the listeners out there. Um, so to kind of wrap up the uh, the the talking about the actual uh, data in the ad account. So so far we have been running the pen versus the pencil. The pencil has been pulling ahead by by a pretty good margin uh, in terms of uh, the ROAS on the account. So the pencil is already running at a two point one for uh, month to date. Uh, so, blended month to day, um, and that 's full funnel, both prospecting as well as retargeting um, so and we had ads off for a couple days, so we do know that kind of baseline here with no advertising was was zero or very close to zero, so we 're pretty confident the retargeting is from the prospecting that we 're doing there as well. so a two point within those couple days that we 've been running um, is really a, a pretty fantastic result in terms of uh, in terms of return on ad spend without much optimization. Um, so to, to jump into this really quick, so a couple different, uh, two or three real quick breakthroughs that we had. So one, I mentioned I'm running hot jar on the page. I used the hot jar survey, the on-page survey, and I delayed it to 30 seconds to pull up an on-page survey that just simply asked people what interests you most about this pen or pencil, depending on which page they're on. And we had a bunch of different hypotheses over here. What, what people were going to be interested in? Was it the craftsmanship? Was it the fact that it was an heirloom product? Uh, you know, something that they could hand down for generations. And we phrased it really simply saying, you know, what interests you about this? And 10 out of the 12 answers that came back were the craftsmanship. So we immediately found out, Oh, this kind of the heirloom angle, which is something that you know, if we were listening more subjectively, just just to Coleman's story, um, and and saying that you know I really I really enjoy this for the sake that I'd be able to give this to uh, to pass this down to my son. Coleman also appreciated it for the craftsmanship. We might have latched on a little bit too much to that heirloom angle and tried to push that too hard, but the early data says who you're talking to right now, and this can change, this can definitely change uh, come gifting um, in November, December, is really appreciating this for the exceptional engineering feat that it is and the craftsmanship behind the item. So going deeper on that, because I have tons of source material with Andy, um, going deeper on that can probably help you increase the intent. So that was kind of breakthrough number one, as far as Uh, That immediately gave me some direction. Here's new content you need to go start creating, Dave. Here's new ads, new landing pages, Uh, go to work. Um, Breakthrough number two is we're running a post-purchase survey with Inquire, uh, Shopify app. We found out that so far out of, again, I believe it's a sample of 12 or 14 answers, none of them have been gifts yet. So right now we're hitting an audience that is, that is purchasing for themselves. They appreciate the craftsmanship and they're purchasing for themselves.
0: And that was significant for us because, um, this is an, right. I mean, this is a fantastic app. You, like if you're not using Enquire for a post-purchase survey, uh, right. it's, it's, it's really, really cool. Are you laughing, Coleman? Cause you're not using Enquire? <laughs> yeah, no, that was,
2: that was Dave actually.
0: Oh, yo, oh, sorry. Uh, no, sorry. I, uh, it's it's great. Use Enquire um, for post purchase surveys. That's a free ad. Um, I don't think I don't think we are on Bamboo, but that's because we were trying some other stuff on your post purchase checkout. Um, but anyway, um, it basically just allows you to ask somebody after they finish checkout any question, and um, and it's so easy to set up. You can also integrate it with Klaviyo. So like. Um, yeah, anyway, it's, it's really cool. But for FC Goods, the question we ask is, um, is this a gift? And like 80% of the answers is yes. Um, and so we can segment out gift purchasers versus not in our post-purchase flows and, and do all kinds of crazy stuff. But um, we kind of had this little idea that maybe some portion of Modern Fuel purchasers would be buying Modern Fuel as a gift for somebody else. Um, and I didn't think it'd be quite as heavy as FC Goods in that respect, but I figured it would be a decent amount. Um, and it turns out so far, we haven't had nobody answer the question that way yet. Uh, you know, 40% of purchasers have responded to the question and no, nobody yet has said it's a gift. So I think that's, a, that's like a really interesting bit of feedback. Now, again, that might change a holiday, but for FC Goods it's 80% even not a holiday. So um, it's just a gift product. So, so yeah. Yeah,
2: yeah that, no, it's, it's been a fantastic point of feedback. So two different surveys. And then the last last piece of data or observation is, again, watching the Hotjar video replays. Uh, I was able to see some of the longer sessions or visiting multiple pages looking for information um, and even seeing some contact form come in or Facebook comments about some of the detail that we left out. So we tried to summarize the story and make it more readable and comprehensible, but we left out some of that deep detail. So again, action item number two for me, go make an FAQ and add it to the landing pages and product detail pages so that we have the detail there, you know, in an accordion style uh, module there, we have the detail there for those that do want to go grab it. Um, So those are just three quick kind of early insights that we found mostly from qualitative uh, uh, data sources, you know, surveys and watching videos kind of atypical compared to just staying in Facebook ads manager, or Google analytics all day.
0: And the goal is to, to bring those together, right? To, to, to right. find ways that you can create some hypotheses based off of whatever data you have in the past and then use qualitative tools to, to try to answer the question. And that's so much of what we're doing. For Slick, we, we have the Enquire survey um, for a long time because it was founded by dirt bike uh, dirt bike riders. We thought, um, you know, we, we had lots of different Slick marketing that um, was showing, it was very dirt bike heavy in its approach um, for for off-road wash products. And it turns out that um, 50% of our select customers are um, are actually riding ATVs and UTVs and like 10% are riding dirt bikes. And that was, that was just sort of an interesting piece of feedback to find out. Like we knew that there were a lot of ATV, UTV people. We just expected it to be more down the middle. That was wrong. Like overwhelmingly, our people are riding a different vehicle than we expected. And that changes how we think about, you know, everything from influencers we might want to work with to direct media buys, if we ever go down that road to um, what we show in our ads uh, and all the rest. So, um, so, yeah, so it's just interesting to kind of start bringing those sorts of, uh, sets of data together for, um, you can ask any question with inquire, which is really nice. And, and the same thing sort of pre-purchase with, um, that Hotjar survey, um, as we, you know, we've been talking about the 31 bits journey, Dave, you and I haven't talked about this much yet, but sort of, as we go try and solve the sort of, on-page RPC problem. Um, RPC tells us what the problem is. Like that's a, just a straight-up objective data point that we're not getting enough, making enough money per click. Um, but it would be interesting to start going down this route a little bit more. We've begun to do this with some survey-type stuff, but to keep trying to answer this question of like what is stopping people from purchase and how do we kind of find that out with a combo of qualitative and quantitative info. So, um, okay, there's a lot more we could say about this, but I want to um, I want to wrap up here, um, Coleman. Tell me, I want both of you guys to, to go from here and um, Coleman, I'll start with you. Tell me what you believe the upside of this brand is like, um, like just dreaming on what modern fuel could be, whether you want to frame that as a revenue number or as product development or anything else. Like what do you, when you think of the future of modern fuel um, from when you first thought about it, when you first looked at it to now, what do you think? And then, and then Dave, same question to you.
1: Oh yeah. Um, I, I still really firmly believe that uh, it could sell for 25 to $50 million in three to five years. I think it's, it's an opportunity um, that we have, like uh, Andrew, you were part of the KLO marketing team for kind of a product uh, or like a category defining product. Um, And there's, there's just so much room um, I think for a major disruptor in like the um, expensive, not expensive, but like, yeah, expensive, like luxury pen without getting into kind of rich asshole territory. Um, like you guys originally thought about the brand. So, and, and I think, I think there's just, um, that that is not that challenging of a story to tell. Um, I think Dave is like, Oh my gosh, just on to like Andrew Sanderson is in incredible hands with, um, Dave and Sadie as a designer, um, over here, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just a, a super bullish on the, the kind of divestiture exit price um, for that within a really accelerated time frame. Yeah,
2: I, I, I think Coleman's right about the growth of the brand. I, the thing I, I definitely find interesting about it is, you know, we're going to pretty quickly find out where the ceiling is for this, uh, call it practical luxury. It's well-made, uh, well-built, um, not just kind of luxury for the sake of luxury. Uh, so we're going to find out pretty quickly where the ceiling is for that with, with pens and pencils, but the kind of ace in in our back pocket is Andy Sanderson. Um, and the question is, can we take the modern fuel brand, that ethos of well-made, uh, well-made practical, highly functional, um, and translate that to other items, um, you know, beyond even just writing implements. And I think, I honestly think the answer to that is yes. And I think that's. A big part of where that growth can come from because, um, you know, especially if we're able to maintain uh, a high price point, um, a a rather premium price point, uh, a really premium look and feel, which we definitely will, um, then we've got a lot of pricing power and brand power as we introduce those new items. And I think Andy's going to be able to knock it out of the park in terms of the engineering and the product design. Um, So I really think that that's where a lot of the upside exists with the brand. Um, Like I said, we're going to go find the ceiling for pens, you know, pens and pencils. Uh, but I think that even beyond that, um,
0: Andy's, uh, Andy's got a lot to him and the brand has a lot of legs. Yeah. Awesome. I, I feel the same way. Ultimately where I landed on this was that, um, was that everything pointed towards a really good opportunity and Coleman, I love the way you framed the, the, the idea of category disruptor. Um, this is so much of what makes a lot of e-com brand works. Uh, a lot of e brands work is that, um, e-com is amazing at, um, stepping into a stodgy category and, um, and bringing new life to it, you know, you cited Away earlier, notwithstanding the product quality that you were concerned about, um, you know, and and uh, and that's a, such a good example. Like luggage is just, an, it's kind of a stodgy category, and so um, and so Away makes a lot of sense as a brand, kind of stepping into that place and and being a little cooler, a little younger, um, and and theoretically bringing a premium product to that. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and there's just a million examples of that kind of thing. Um, and you know it's funny you wouldn't at least I didn't wouldn't have thought of pens and pencils sort of initially in that space because I just wouldn't have thought of it uh, at all. Um, but it is it's an old legacy category with legacy um, category leaders, um, and so kind of being able to kind of come into that in a new space at a new angle um, and go after it. And, you know, I actually would say there's a ton of room for that. And what I'm seeing immediately is that there's definitely real interest from a couple ways of doing it. So check out the show notes today for, um, some more, um, follow-up information. Um, I will, uh, I will certainly include our first couple of ads or actually don't, don't do that. Let's teach you to fish here. Just go to the modern fuel Facebook page and go look up the ads that are currently running. So you'll just click around, you'll figure out how to do that, but you can go see, um, any, any brands ads that are running and you'll kind of see some of the ads that we've been, um, that we've been running so far. Um, and you can do that for, for any of our brands or any other brand that you want to, um, and, and see kind of what's what's out there. You'll see kind of where the comments are compiling and which ads are getting the most run. Um, it's been interesting so far. Um, we should make sure to re shout out Sadie Lewandowski who, um, redesigned the website and the packaging and a bunch of other stuff like insanely fast and insanely beautifully, like really brought this premium feel to it. Dave, I know you worked really closely with Sadie to make that happen, but you guys just didn't, um, a bang up job on that. It's, it's really something to see. Um, I will link in the show notes, a tweet, um, that Sadie had put out. That was, um, that showed the before and after of that site. And, uh, it's, it's pretty cool. She, she did, she did quite a job on it. Um, so, Otherwise, um, thank you. Thank you for listening. We'd love to hear any questions you have. Go check out modernfuel.com. Um, not only should you be buying your Christmas gifts there, of course, and your other holiday gifts there. Um, but, uh, but also if you have questions or thoughts or you think we're doing something wrong, like we would love to hear about it. These, every one of these new brands, you know, we bring our brains to it, but I know there's a lot of smart econ people listening to this who could do the same. Um, and, uh, and otherwise guys, thanks for taking an hour uh, out of a very busy, uh, time and, uh, and coming in and doing this with me and talking through it, and by thanks for that. I mean, um, I'm your boss, so I made you, and obviously I rule with an iron fist, and that's the way I operate for over 100. So, um, so there you go,
1: telling them all your secrets,
0: huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Well, thanks for having us. Yeah. So there you have it. Uh, thanks so much for listening, as always. I, I just really think. uh, excuse me, Modern Fuel is a really fun and interesting brand. It's just sort of not in any of the categories that you think of. And I think people, I've noticed people generally have very strong reactions to it. They think it's the dumbest thing they've ever seen just because of the price point relative to what the product and the category is. Um, Pens and pencils are famously cheap, right? So you just think of it as like you can get 20 pens or 20 pencils for a couple bucks. and so. So being in that category, and then I think even some of the sort of the shine of legacy competitors like Mont Blanc just feeling like uh, sort of this needless rich guy luxury or something, um, and uh, yeah, uh, Coleman was joking after I sort of uh, wrapped up with him that I made it sound like he was the kind of rich asshole who would um, <laughs> who would want to buy this. Uh, sort of pen and uh, and I didn't mean to frame it that way at all. Um, I also love having guys like Coleman and Dave on and, and um, anybody else that we work with at 4 400 all the time because I just think they're amazing and it's really fun to get to sort of show off just the level of talent and quality that I'm surrounded by and um, and let you into a little bit of the world of, of 4x400 in terms of um, just how fun and energizing it is to be in a place with people who are so um, good at their jobs and likable and all those kinds of things. So So, uh, yes, thanks for listening. As always, please reach out to me at podcasts at 4x400.com. Would love, if you have any questions, I would love to um, sort those out on an episode um, or reach out to me at Andrew J. Ferris on Twitter. I'm getting better about staying up with my DMs or just tweet at me. That's great, too. Um, Check the show notes, like I said. Um, If you want to see that redesign, I will put the link to that tweet in there. Um, I have also one other awesome thing here. Dave actually said it was cool with him if I put his entire growth plan which is like 17 pages in the show notes so you could see it um, I'm going to double check it to make sure that all the information that's there is stuff that we're allowed to share um, but uh, but as always with this we try to be really generous with the information that we share and, and I will put as much in there as possible so check the show notes see that tweet see the growth plan see a little bit of how Dave is thinking about that he is a brilliant guy um, and so getting a little piece of his brain I think will help you so all that said, thank you so much for listening as always. And I will talk to you next time. We'll get back into the 31 bit story next week.